0: It's February of 2021. I get an email from a media relations officer with the Minnesota Department of Corrections. It says, the commissioner wants to share something with you. Are you available to hop on Zoom?
1: What we see is uh, failures that that, uh, can and, and
0: obviously have occurred. DOC commissioner Paul Schnell tells me he's seen
1: enough. I, I don't think that you can look at the videos that, that you all have uh, shown and, and not from the standpoint of uh, a human and a, and a humanity response, look at that and think that for an instant, uh, regardless of the fact that somebody is, is put in jail for some reason, there is no one that can really look at that and say that that's how human beings should be treated. He's talking about the videos from our TV news
0: reports of Hardell Sherrill.
1: Yes, i so much pain.
0: Lying on a cell floor, paralyzed. Pain, paralyzed pain in I his I own waist, pain. dying. Bruce Lundmark, writhing in pain, begging for medical care that never comes. I wouldn't treat my worst enemy this way. Teenager, Abby Rudolph. You don't leave me in here. Vomiting to death from untreated drug withdrawal. Like I have some James Linus to to, and, and Brett and Huber, Huber Jr., both in the midst of obvious mental health crisis, tying sheets around their necks, ending their own lives after receiving no mental health care. In both cases, guards also failed to check on them.
2: He was denied the type of
3: treatment he needed, uh, and now I no longer have a son.
0: In all these cases, our reporting found the DOC was a paper tiger, toothless, when it comes to holding jails accountable to their constitutional duty to ensure the health and safety of the people they incarcerate.
1: It is uh, really difficult in these cases, and, and you certainly all have seen it as uh, during the course of your reporting and certainly the families of, of people whose uh, loved ones have been reported on. It's hard to look at that and not, not feel a sense of, of obligation to, to address this, and we simply have to do better.
0: I'm investigative reporter A.J. Legault. You're listening to Cruel and Unusual, Episode 8, Reforming the Paper Tiger.
4: Minnesota House of Representatives Committee on Public Safety and Criminal Justice Reform will come to order. The clerk will take the roll.
0: It's a week after that conversation with the corrections commissioner. And a hearing is underway at the State House to introduce sweeping jailhouse reform proposals. The bill sponsor is State Representative Jamie Long of Minneapolis.
3: Every incarcerated person deserves to receive appropriate health care and safe conditions. But unfortunately, we know that is not the case in Minnesota today. Thanks to the investigative reporting of CARE 11's Cruel and Unusual series and others, We've heard the heartbreaking stories of the conditions in some of our jails. Tragically, some have died while in state custody.
0: The Department of Corrections has taken the lead on crafting the reform legislation. Commissioner Schnell testifies, telling state leaders the status quo can't stand.
1: I can't stress enough, members, that this is a crisis situation. If you've had a chance to see any of the CARE 11 expose, I think it elevates this. I uh, take this as a a, a personal area of a deep concern. Um, many of these concerns have been longstanding, um, and it is it is a due time, um, and uh, and shouldn't have been based upon tragedy. But but that is where we find ourselves. That we uh, address this
0: compelling, but it's the voices of the two people who speak next, familiar voices to listeners of this series, that leave lawmakers. With little choice but to act.
4: For the record, my name's Brett Warner Huber Sr. I'm the father of Brett Warner Huber Jr., my deceased son.
0: Mr. Huber recounts the story of his son's mental break. The United States Senate staffer jumping on top of a semi truck in the middle of the highway, jailed for months in a psychotic state, but given no mental health care until he died by suicide. Jail guards then lied about checking on him, a pattern we discovered at that jail and others. All of the problems that were identified that led to Brett's demise were identified previously, yet nothing was done about it. We can't do anything about Brett, but I know Brett would want to say this to you. Please,
4: God, please do what is within your power to make things better.
0: Then comes testimony from a mother who spent years begging to be heard.
4: Thank you for giving me this opportunity to come before you today to share with you what happened to my son. My name is Delshia Perry. I am the mother of Hardell Cheryl, who died in the Beltrami County Jail in September of 2018.
0: She now has the ears of Minnesota's most powerful.
4: And they just left him there on a cold jail cell floor, crying out for help for days, not minutes days, until he took his last breath. What happened to my son sounds like a horror story from a third world country, but no, it happened right here, right here in the United States of America. Minnesota County jails are so unregulated. People are dying, and until Hardell's death and everything that has happened, no one noticed. Or if they did, it seemed that they didn't care because it wasn't affecting them. And their son or daughter. My goal with getting this bill passed into law is to save lives and allow those incarcerated to be able to pay their debt to society without being tormented, tortured, mistreated, or neglected like my son. I'm not asking for any special treatment for jail inmates, no, and I'm not asking for any special accommodations. All I'm asking is that the county jail treats people as human beings. It's a basic minimum standard to make sure that people stop dying senselessly. So I ask you to name this bill in honor of my son as a small token of honor for his girls.
0: If you missed Delsia's last request, she's sobbing at this point and can barely speak, she asked legislators to name the reform law after Hardell in honor of his daughters. That's exactly what happened. It was named the Hardell-Sherrill Act. A few months later, with bipartisan support, it was passed into law.
3: Those types of stories and Hardell's in particular moved us to act This is, I think, uh, long overdue and is really significant.
0: This is Representative Jamie Long, the Hardell Sherill Act's lead sponsor. We're speaking on the lawn of the state capitol the day the law passed. It's been a half century since any significant changes were made regarding oversight of Minnesota jails.
3: His tragedy, I think, was brought to the world in part by uh, Kara Levin's terrific investigative reporting. And we know that Uh, It's hard to look away when you hear a story like that. And hard to look away when you have a a face uh, for a bill uh, where nobody can argue that that should not have happened.
0: All right. So here's a little of what the new reform law does. It requires the Department of Corrections set minimum standards for inmate safety, including physical and mental health care, particularly for those confined with mental illness or substance use disorders. It gives the DOC more authority over jails, granting the agency the power to more thoroughly investigate deaths and quickly suspend or revoke a county's license should the jails present an imminent risk of harm to its inmates. Remember, our investigation revealed DOC inspectors regularly failed to identify breakdowns at county jails that contributed to inmate deaths, often because they were only doing cursory reviews. And even when problems were identified, like well-being checks being falsified, records show the DOC failed to force local jails to make corrections because
1: the agency wasn't sure if it had the authority to do so. In the past, you, we, it may have, may have been argued that we were more of a paper tiger.
0: I'm talking again with Commissioner Schnell, whose agency now has more teeth and responsibility. To be frank, a lot of public agencies would have obfuscated past the buck when faced with something like this. Why
1: did DOC decide to lean in? You know, I think we're at a time where uh, when people are, are outside the front of the Department of Corrections uh, protesting, um, when, when, and I'm just going to be honest, when the media does what it, the media does, it, it raises these issues of concern.
0: Under the new law, any inmate death requires a jail administrator to form a review team that must examine whether any changes in policy or procedures need to be implemented and report those findings to the DOC. The review teams must include an outside medical expert.
1: We want to have very clear procedures in terms of who uh, investigates those cases, that the same people who were overseeing the care are not directly overseeing the investigation of the death itself.
0: And the new law makes one other important change. Remember, at the beginning of this series, we told you our jail investigation began because of George Floyd's murder by Minneapolis police officers. Okay, police officer.
4: ah.
0: Life often comes full circle. He- the Hardell Sherrill Act also updates a 115-year-old law governing use of force in Minnesota jails and prisons, and the controversial use of force technique that killed George Floyd is now banned
2: Stop and right now Bro, you think that's cool
0: in former Minneapolis police officer Derek chauvin's trial find the defendant guilty expert after expert testified that George Floyd died because chauvin and the other officers kept the weight of their bodies on him for nine minutes and 29 seconds while he was restrained face down hands behind his back.
1: Roll on the side.
0: The technique is called prone restraint, and it's about as common in policing and corrections as a badge or a gun. Prone him out. It involves getting someone to the ground and cuffing that someone face down, arms behind their back. But as a Department of Justice warning from the 1990s and a 2003 training video from the NYPD shows...
4: Persons on their stomachs can't breathe with pressure applied to their backs. As soon as suspects are handcuffed, get them off
0: their stomachs, turn them on their sides, or sit them up. When officers stay on top of that proned-out person, bad things can happen.
4: Occasionally,
0: there are fatalities. This is Chris. Hey, Chris, it's AJ. Hey, AJ. In the wake of George Floyd's death, I also partnered with a journalist friend of mine named Chris Vanderveen, who works for KUSA, a Denver TV station, to examine prone restraint. I called Chris to talk about this reporting that found at least 130 other people who, just like George Floyd, died in police custody, prone So we're talking about prone restraint, and even before George Floyd died, you were in your spare time looking into this phenomenon, correct?
2: Yeah, we had had an individual by the name of David Baker, who um, died uh, a number of years ago, and I was sort of curious as to, he died after being held face down, um, handcuffed, and with a number of officers. Holding him down, and while it wasn't really getting a whole lot of attention here in Colorado, I was just really curious as to, well, why the heck did this guy die? Um, and the explanation coming from the police department wasn't necessarily didn't feel like it was telling the whole story. So, from that, David Baker's death, I just started looking into court cases and to media reports around the country, seeing if we could find other deaths that sort of mirrored David Baker's death.
0: And what did you find?
2: Well, we started to find more, uh, for sure. I mean, we started putting together a database. Um, like you said, I mean, this was this was in my spare time. This was not really a focus. I was very interested in it, but I was working on a number of other stories at the time. And so um, one by one, I would start to put uh, names and identifiers and sort of common characteristics into a database and just sort of building it very, very slowly.
0: So you and I had chatted about that at some point. And then I still remember our phone call the morning right after George Floyd was killed. When I called you and I said, I think we have one of those prone restraint deaths you're investigating. And it looks bad.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that you calling because, I mean, I think sometimes when I, when I work on a story over a long, prolonged period of time, I sort of become obsessed with it. And any journalist I'm around, I start talking to them about it ad nauseum about, hey, I'm working on this story. I'm super interested in it. And you had picked up on that. And then, like you said, you called me very shortly after the death of George Floyd and said, I think there's another one of these cases. And I don't think at the time— either one of us realized what kind of a case that would turn into to be but it definitely got my interest um in thinking okay here's another one of these deaths and so um started looking into it and then and then everything sort of blew up after that
0: so you'd spent months working on this database of cases and by cases i mean people who died while under prone restraint in police custody can you give me a snapshot of really what the key findings were as you created that database?
2: Well, there was one, a couple things. Th- this is not an exhaustive list. Like w- we know of now more than 130 deaths from around the country over roughly the last 10 years, but I guarantee you there are many, many more. Um, so I start with that caveat. So we start with. Uh, at least 130 deaths. And we started looking for common characteristics. So we looked for um, signs of mental illness, signs of drug use, also the race of the person that was held prone. And uh, we started to see that there are things that cause, uh, that are more common. And so signs of, overt signs of mental illness, very sort of common uh, disproportionate in terms of the rest of the country with prone deaths um some drug use not all cases and i think there's like david baker's case for example the case that we covered in aurora colorado the really the case that got me moving on this there was a widespread assumption that he was on a lots of drugs right? he, that he was he had been using a lot of drugs and that's why he was acting so strangely and that's why they put him down the ground it turns out he didn't have any drugs in the system except for marijuana and so there's drug use but there's not a high level mental illness is is a common characteristic and then race this is clearly disproportionate in terms of the racial makeup of the country versus the racial makeup of people who die prone not all of the of the people who die prone um, are persons of color but the majority were, and I think that's a sign of something deeper as well. And nobody was sort of tying these, all of these cases together and sort of saying, hey, these aren't isolated events. This is part of a pattern. And, and AJ, I think that's what our story did was, is that it started to tie all of these cases together in a way that you could say, hey, this isn't a singular event of somebody dying under police officers that are trying to arrest him. This is part of a pattern um, that is leading to a number of deaths around the country, in particular deaths that the federal government, as you know, back in 1995, said, don't do this. Don't stay prolonged on the back of somebody as you're arresting them and after they're handcuffed. That can cause death. And I think that was, a, that was probably the more shocking aspects of all of this is that it's not like this was a surprise to arresting agencies. They knew of the problem because they'd been warned by the federal government, don't do this, and yet they kept doing it, and that was a problem.
0: Here's where what I always considered two separate investigations, prone restraint deaths and deaths related to denial of medical care in jails, merged. Analyzing that database, Chris, Bill, we discovered 22 prone-restraint deaths that had happened in jails or prisons, typically involving people in the midst of a mental health or medical emergency. Take the case of Michael Marshall in Denver. Paranoid, schizophrenic, arrested for disturbing the peace. He was jailed on just a $100 bond. Guards climbed on top of the 110-pound man, holding him prone for nine minutes and 12 seconds. This is his niece, Natalia.
4: They never got off. I don't know why
0: they never got off. In North Carolina, John Neville was suffering a medical emergency in jail. I can't breathe. Over and over and over, making the same plea as George Floyd.
4: Please, I can't breathe!
0: He was held prone for 17 minutes and 22 seconds. His daughter, Brianne, pleaded. For reform,
4: just make the changes so that other families don't have to deal with this kind of pain.
0: I was surprised at how often when we reviewed the body cam footage, officers seemed genuinely surprised that someone died or someone stopped breathing while they had them in prone restraint
2: yeah I mean I, I, I spent um, it was it was really. Um, It was really difficult to watch. I spent a number of weeks just watching body cameras of people dying. And once you get over the horror of that, you start to look at it from more of a clinical perspective. You start to notice patterns. And as you mentioned, one of those patterns was in most of the cases that the arresting officers were caught off guard and were legitimately surprised when the person below them stopped breathing. And to me, that always said, that's a training problem (laughs) because this is a well-known problem. And yet when they're caught off guard by it, when they're surprised by it, that tells me that they haven't been adequately warned about the possibility of that. And I think that's true. I mean, when you're surprised when somebody dies below you, Um, That tells me something about the level of training that you've undergone.
0: So, Chris, in the wake of all of our prone restraint reporting, there have been some changes. You know, here in Minneapolis, all of the officers were ordered to undergo mandatory prone restraint training. And something similar happened out near you, correct?
2: Yeah, Denver Police Department um, had seen our investigation. And the police chief actually called us and said he was going to use that in their training for new recruits. They use our video, use our story uh, to show police officers of the dangers of this. And I think that's a really sort of important aspect of telling officers that this is a real problem that people can die from this. And now I think what we've also learned is that they can be criminally charged for this. And the city that they represent can be sued and lose millions of dollars for this. So this is, the, any attention that is brought to this uh, is good attention because, because again, you don't want officers to be surprised anymore.
0: All right, thank you very much, Chris. You bet. All right, talk to you soon. Thanks, AJ. Back here in Minnesota, the death of George Floyd certainly underscored the danger of prone restraint. So when Representative Jamie Long sat down to work on the sweeping jail reform legislation he sponsored, the legislation named after Hardell Sherrill, he told us he wanted to stop prone restraint behind bars too. We know that prone restraint is dangerous and shouldn't be used. It's a move the corrections commissioner also backed.
1: At the end of the day, prone restraint is a is, is a dangerous uh, is a dangerous tactical move, and uh, that's why it's outlawed. What happened to to George Floyd uh, because of the law changes would not happen uh, today without some serious accountability uh, going along with it. In my view, there is no doubt uh, that this reform will save lives in Minnesota. A
0: road to life-saving reform that began with the death of George Floyd on a city street and hit the fast lane the day we first met Delshia Perry and began discovering what had happened to her son behind bars. During that first meeting, she took us to the cemetery to visit Hardell's grave.
4: They refused to give him medical care. That's why he's here now. If they had treated him and given him the medical care that they should have, he wouldn't be here today. He wouldn't be here today.
0: During our last meeting, Delshia reminded me of what she said the first time we spoke.
4: But you know what, I stand on the word of God, and that's what's gotten me through. Just as it says in Genesis 50 and 20, you know what, what goes on in the in the dark will come to the light, but what that word says, is that what the enemy meant for my bad, God will turn it around for my good. And surely he is turning things around for
0: my good. Cruel and Unusual is a Carol Levin Investigation Produced by me, A.J. Legault, along with Brandon Stahl, Steve Eckert, and Gary Knox. Our news director is Stacy Nogi, and director of digital content is Jeremiah Jacobson. Will Johnson and Reed Redman with Vault Studios handled post-production. And audio mixing was done by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media. A special thanks to Chris Vandervee with KUSA in Denver for all his assistance and leadership on the prone restraint portion of our reporting.